Halloween Night, a small British podcast, spoils a movie that came out almost 45 years ago. He's on his way. He came home. He's gone. He's gone from here. The evil is gone. This is Diabolical comedy podcast where four long-suffering friends dissect films spookier schemes then scare Pete to improve them. I'm your host Gaz and this week's terrifying episode has us taking on John Carpenter's seminal Halloween. So Peril Pals, I in your smartest boiler seat and pull on your favourite mask because it's Tuesday! You know what that means! Let's get diabolical! Hello and welcome to this week's Scary Pod, wherein I and my three spooky friends comprise the panel of peril, who will compete at the show's close to see who can improve the villainous plan of the week the best to earn points for the leaderboard in the show's competitive round. But first, if you would introduce yourselves and tell me, what's the best trick you have ever played on somebody? Well, let's just go alphabetical. Well, as I'm the cinemaster, I come after Ben. Oh, that's yeah. true. <laughs> you all come after Ben. <laughs> well, sometimes not at all. <laughs> no, my, my sexual techniques guarantee the male orgasm. <laughs> Hi, Ben here. And I've got two examples of tricks that probably demonstrate uh, the extremes of my personality. The first is that I told my folks that I wouldn't be home for Christmas the year I moved to Japan. <laughs> then I walked through the door on Christmas Eve, which must have been a lovely surprise for them. <laughs> ah, I can imagine your mum's reaction here. Yeah. And then the second is when I fooled a friend of ours, who I shall not name, into drinking piss by telling him it was vodka and Red Bull. <laughs> Ice... <laughs> And a cocktail umbrella in it to really sell it to him. Jesus. <laughs> That's a hell of a trick. You are a lovely friend. You really but are. But that, that, that was in revenge. I won't explain the whole story. Oh, revenge is fine. Yeah, but yeah. It, was a re- it was a revenge trick. Everything's fair in love and war, isn't it? So, uh... Ooh, the cinemaster here. <laughs> Hello. Anyway, my favourite trick hopefully it's something Craig will remember and possibly Ben is when you and I, Craig paid Ben a visit at a university and we went on a big piss up to the student union. And I decided uh, in my own little mind to pretend I was an American all night. (laughs) Yeah. Do you remember? (laughs) I had forgotten. Yeah. I'd forgotten that too. But now I remember. Yeah. So I pretended I'm an American now. Chewing gum like Jean Renner. Yeah, I pretended all night and then I was talking to a bunch of students outside afterwards in American accent. And then all of a sudden I just dropped it and just went, I'm not really American. And walked off. <laughs> <laughs> Those quiched up students didn't know what happened. Quiched up students. <laughs> King quiche yourself there. <laughs> oh, I, was, I was full to the brim on quiche. Can't get quiche for love, no money out here. <laughs> Can you not? They're a rarity. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Craig here. AKA as the ghost of Count Dracula. Ah. And the greatest trick I ever pulled was convincing the world that the devil doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> that did cross oh. my mind as well. Racked my brains. 
And uh, I can't think of a single trick I've ever pulled on anybody. I'm very seldom naughty. Just nice. You've definitely pulled a trick. I've turned a trick. (laughs) (laughs) You tried to lie to get in the cinema. Oh, yeah? When you were 12, get yourself into 13s. It's not really a trick, is it? Especially (laughs) if you don't put it off. And my own trick is similar to Ben's in that it was a revenge trick. Not really a trick, really. But it was the only thing that I could think of once I set the opening question, which is (laughs) in university... My housemates, former housemates, screwed him out of a load of money and possessions, but he still had the house key. So one night we went into the house and fucking trashed it. (laughs) Oh, my word, it was carnage. Oh, man. (laughs) It was a lot of fun, let me tell you. Is that tantamount (laughs) to uh, admission of criminal liability? It could be. This is 20 years ago now. I think the statute of limitations... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there we I'm have. Sure, it. if that counts in the UK, does it? I'm not sure. No, I don't think it does. <laughs> they have to find me first. Yeah, fucking pigs. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, this took a turn. <laughs> Moving on swiftly. Halloween was released in 1978 to absolutely boffo box office of $70 million, which made it the highest grossing independent film to that date and secured Carpenter and writing slash producing partner Deborah Hill's genre credentials for decades to come. The tale of Michael Myers, a young boy constituted of pure evil, was inspired by a young carpenter's visit to a mental health facility in which he was met by the eyes of a killer who looked straight through him chilling him to his very core. Maya's murderous condition first manifests as a six-year-old as he kills his sister before being locked away for 15 years under the care of one Dr. Samuel Loomis. Upon his escape, Michael makes his way back to his hometown of Haddonfield, killing anybody who gets in his way, mainly babysitters. A stone-cold classic, not just of horror, but of cinema full stop, Halloween set the gold standard for slasher films with its great characterizations, chilling and iconic villain, great scares, instantly recognisable score, and legendary turns from Jamie Lee Curtis as final girl Laurie Strode and Donald Pleasance as Loomis. But what did you think of it then? Let's begin with the Cinemaster. Well, we've been searching for that elusive turn of phrase for a few of these movies now, including most recently Jaws, where we were saying that it's the less is more approach, which apparently should be correctly alluded to as the theatre of the mind. And this movie certainly has it in spades, thus making it one of the greatest horror films of all time, in my very humble opinion. And obviously the start of John Carpenter's illustrious career as a master of the genre. Not only is it scary, but it's what it does on such a low budget. They made the film for $300,000 and 70,000 of that went on the camera stabilizers. They're called Panaglide. Yeah. yeah. And Halloween was only the fourth film at the time to use that system. You've get these lovely smooth following shots, especially the opening shot of Michael coming through the house to finish off his sister and stuff like that. To do what to her? Hmm. Finish her off. Hey. (laughs) What did you watch? 
bumper off, whatever you want to call it. Well, that lad goes up there and comes back down the stairs quite quickly, so I suppose he would have to finish off. Yeah. yeah. Oh, did you watch Spank a Ween? <laughs> Spank my wiener. It's, uh, <laughs> several stages removed as a pun, but you know. <laughs> but yeah, because of that, obviously they heavily invested a massive part of their budget on that, but it shows the film feels a lot more classier than the budget suggests. And then the people working on it all knew each other. So it was like a big family run sort of movie as well. Lots of them were friends from college. Some of them were married or going out. And my respect and admiration for John Carpenter and all the people involved in this film is endless. Mm. Hallow Cream. That's another one. Hallow Cream. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good one. Well, since he's Hallow Creamed all over the microphone, let's hear from Craig. And not for the first time. <laughs> well, in your opening, you described it as seminal, and it, it sure is seminal and fluid. It's a very horny, <laughs> horny film. Not only is it one of the best horror films, it's really kind of seminal in the truest sense. It's kind of the blueprint and the archetype. You know, it, Scream was referencing the slasher genre as a whole, but I think so many of those tropes originated in Halloween and it's just pulled off so well. One of the greatest triumphs of it is the William Shatner mask. Yeah. <laughs> because the shape as a horror character is scarier to me than any other, you know, Jason, Freddy, any of those guys, because yeah. that face is so close to being human, but it's just off. Mm. It's that uncanny valley feel that you get with some CGI, and, the, and obviously the eyes are just empty. In later remakes, you can see his eyes and kind of ruins the effect but because of that because the shape is this almost unknowable presence it gives the whole proceeding a an atmosphere that you don't get with a lot of these slasher films of like, genuine dread the other thing that i really love about it is loomis that they they have this story where you know that he's pursuing him it's almost like a, a b plot which you, is another thing you don't tend to get with films in this genre and that whole story is really compelling as well, and it's played really well. So it's uh, it's right up there for me. And the cast as a whole, brilliant, but Jamie Lee Curtis in particular is like magnetic in this. Like every time she's on screen, you're drawn to what she's doing. It's a star-making turn, isn't it? Yeah, completely. Undeniably. Yeah. And people call her a Nepo baby these days. <laughs> what a bunch yeah. of idiots. Nah, fools. Damn hell ass fools. Well, she was given the role as a... An homage to Hitchcock, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. That uh, Carpenter and Deborah Hill were aware. Yeah, it was the the producer, heritage. wasn't it? Um, Irwin, was it? Yablans. Yablans. Yeah, he 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 didn't know what who she was, and then when he found out she was the the daughter of Tony Curtis and Janet Lee, then he was like, right, she's in. That was it. <laughs> so you know, it helped her. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah undeniably. Yeah, yeah. But there's no way she's coasted off that. No, <laughs> she she had other roles before this, but this this was yeah. uh, this was a big break, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, she's all, she's at bags of talent. Okay, Ben, if you would finish us with your thoughts. Well, we've watched quite a few horror films for this podcast, mostly thanks to you, Gaz. <laughs> and I'd say this one could stand toe to toe with any of them. Carpenter gives a masterclass in that less is more theatre of the mind, as the cinemaster pointed out. And he uses the POV shots to f make us feel like we're close to, to Mike Myers, even though we don't mm. see him, which, you know, at times with, with that kind of less is more, sometimes you, you do want just a little bit more, but 
because you you'll see it through his eyes quite a bit, you feel like you, you're there. The POV through the mask when he's a kid is incredible. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> and then the, yeah, like you said, the strong performances throughout. I'd say Linda is probably the least convincing, but in fairness, she has like the worst dialogue to deliver. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> and then I don't think anyone's mentioned it so far, but the score is incredible. It's yeah. so yeah. effective at ramping up the tension. That it even makes scenes where the girls are walking down the street in broad daylight feel scary. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And this is a personal thing, but my only niggle is, is some of the pacing. Yeah. I know Carpenter's building the uh, the tension, but I'd prefer a tighter first act just so we get to the faster paced second and third acts a bit quicker. Oh, no, that's the bit I like. I like the, the fact that it's cranking up and you're thinking, so if you hadn't seen the film before and you weren't exactly sure what's going to go on, you kind of think this is the tension with when he's stalking Annie and stuff, it's just yeah. going, and it's like yeah. any moment, uh, there's probably about two dozen points where you, you think you probably pop out now and do it. No. Nope. Yeah. And then each, every time. <laughs> yeah. I'm just oh. a bit impatient, I guess. Yeah. But overall, I give it a, forget the trick. This film is a real treat out of five. Oh, Very nicely good. done. That is sharp. Hacky as fuck. that's a gimmick at best (laughs) Uh, my own thoughts on Halloween are that it is nailed on 5 out of 5 classic just as I said about Jaws coincidentally just as I said about Jaws it's got some fantastic as Ben mentioned daylight scare sequences an extended sequence of Michael stalking Laurie from her home to school and back again Mm. I like the psychological underpinnings of the film, which is the theory of the return of the repressed, where you repress a negative emotion, which festers, and then it, it comes back to do greater damage. And that, that's uh, Carpenter said that is the idea behind Michael. Yeah. With the later revelation that Laurie is Michael's sister, which was subsequently mm-hmm. retconned out. Mm-hmm. But I think it still holds up as a concept in the film. Yeah, the score is just incredible i think it's carpenter's best score instantly instantly recognizable Mm. from the first note um yeah and it's it's great in in the recent trilogy that he came back with his son cody to iterate on that theme in in different ways in each of the three new films and yeah yeah it's, it's so good everything about this film is iconic the the mask the boiler suit the location haddonfield is yeah. instantly recognisable. Just brilliant. Never gets old. For a film that came out in 1978, it's just timeless. Yeah. The opening credits too. Yes. Yeah, yeah. the opening credits are, are fantastic. Really, really cool. I mean, especially for an indie, it's crazy how well it's aged. Yeah. Yeah. That opening credit sequence really embodies that spirit because it's essentially one long, slow zoom in on a pumpkin, but it looks expensive as fuck. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, pumpkins aren't cheap. <laughs> Especially that one Tommy's got. It's fucking enormous. The one that he drops in the yeah. school playground. Yeah. Bigger than him. Well, that's that's not a pumpkin. That's a South American gourd, apparently. Because uh-huh. they filmed in the spring and they couldn't find any pumpkins. You're such a gourd nerd. <laughs> so they, they got a gourd. Yeah, they got a few gourds, painted them orange, uh, and I think they had two or three. And they, they did it in the first shot. That way if you want more good talk, Peril Pals, go back to episode 13, where <laughs> Turner goes on and fucking on about butternut squash. <laughs> I can't remember that. 
Or you could also listen to Turner's uh, spin-off podcast, Going for Gord. Who's beg your pardon? Whose uh, opinions are this that? Oh, right. you handsome, handsome man. Both, He's a cinemaster. Both of you. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> You've got the shapely visage of a South American gourd, or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> I'll accept that. Yeah, that's good. Uh, just, just uh, another thing that I really like is is Donald Pleasance as Loomis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In this film, you, you kind of get the hints that he's not quite right in the head either because he's so obsessed yeah. with Michael, mm. and later on that leads him into his own kind of madness but just the the little bits in this one like um him scaring lonnie and the other kids yeah. outside the house and having a cheeky little <laughs> smile on his face yeah for a guy who um was quite dismissive of the first film who changed his tune when it was a big hit mm. i think yeah. it was a great performance donald pleasance yeah it's understated isn't it mm. he was doing it very much he probably i think his agent booked him for it and then he wasn't wasn't very happy and apparently he was uh drinking on the set quite a bit as well so um, yeah best pleased well it was offered to uh christopher lee first and he turned it down and he said that's the greatest regret of his career turning down halloween wow yeah Yeah. i can imagine yeah and this is coming from a bloke who was a sith lord and Saruman. he's done everything hasn't he Mm. and dracula would have been very different with christopher lee the the character yeah just physically, that that tall, thin. Yeah. yeah. He can't help but look imposing, can he? Yeah. Although he is thin, you wouldn't start a fight with Christopher Lee. No. He'd fuck you up. Yeah. Mm. He's got the range. You know, Lord Samurai. Yeah. You're not messing with him. Yeah. It, I think his Loomis maybe would have been too much like, you would have felt safe mm. knowing that he was on the case. Yeah. Whereas Pleasance, he kind of, he's like a pudgy little cute doughboy. Little fucking pop and fresh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, shall we move on to our favourite sequences? We shall begin with Craig, please. My favourite sequence, I'm probably going to steal everybody's favourite sequence because it's Mm. so brilliant, I can't imagine. It's not everybody's. It starts with the shape or Michael pinning Bob to the wall with his knife. And examining him, yeah, yeah, like a dog yeah. cocking his head, yeah. But then dressing up like the ghost of Bob with a fucking bedsheet <laughs> on and glasses over the top. He's a laugh, isn't he, Michael? Yeah, that's what I thought. He's got a sense of humour, hasn't yeah. he? He's a laugh a minute. He's got a sense of humour, yeah, <laughs> definitely. He's not dead on the inside, like Loomis says. He's a little scamp <laughs> chasing the girls around at the start, peeping out of the hedge like people, and then he's gone. <laughs> Sure, it's it's a fair point. That that's how that scene would have looked if it didn't have that music playing. Mm. It would have looked like Peepo. Yeah. <laughs> if you play a clown track over that, you've got a whole different film. And the other funny thing that he does in that sequence is uh, put his sister's tombstone on the bed oh, behind yeah. the girl that he's killed. Yes, <laughs> so weird, isn't it? It's also funny that Loomis is going to see the grave and then they get to the desecrated grave with the tombstone missing and they have to look up to check whose grave it is. You're like, well, it's obviously yeah. his sister's. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder whose grave this is. Oh, it's, yeah. oh, oh, wait a minute. Oh, it is hers. Ooh. That's, no, it's, just, it's just a coincidence. Don't worry about it. Yes. It's <laughs> another dickhead's grave. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, let's see what Ben's favourite sequence was. Well, as Craig rightly predicted, that was that was one that was top of my list. Mm. I also love the opening. Mm. Yeah, just a complete opposite to last week's movie, The Green Lantern, where you get this 
heavy exposition dump. This yeah. just tells you everything you need to do, but mm. it, you don't feel like you, it's being forced on you. It sets the scene for the movie really perfectly. It's a fantastic opening, and, and as Craig mentioned earlier again, the, when the mask goes on, yeah, and you, you're seeing through the camera with those two eye holes, it's just great. The only thing I would say about that is the screams of the girl are a bit subdued for someone being stabbed up. Uh, Michael! Ow! Ow! <laughs> like he's getting her with a pin instead. <laughs> well, um, you know, when somebody's stabbed, they don't scream, they don't cry out. The air goes out of their body. Oh, is that Christopher <laughs> Lee giving the consultant advice? Yeah, that's what happened. You know that first opening shot when he picks up the mask, puts it on, it goes over the lens? That was there because the film in the camera was a, a much shorter film than is normally used in these new Panavision, Panaglide camera things. Mm-hmm. So it's like four minutes and 26 seconds or something like that. So they yeah. tried to get it all in one shot, but they couldn't. So they've decided like when well, we need a cut point and it'll be at that point, they pick up the mask, put it on the camera. And that was the cut point for Film, so. uh, they say necessity is the mother of invention and that is Maybe. just mm-hmm. great it's lovely isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. okay then cinemaster if you would be so kind well i've got one that is well it's my favorite bit and it's where just before he he slashes at laurie for the first time on her shoulder mm. and he stood in that doorway yeah. and then you just get the lighting on his face and i was like yeah Oh my God, so good. Yeah, and it is great. every time I see the movie, I'm just like, it should have won an Oscar for that <laughs> alone. Good stuff. Um, because I figured those two sequences or three sequences, no, let's say two sequences. I didn't bank on the Cinemaster's choice, but Ben and Craig's I banked on. So I've gone for the Smith's Grove sequence at the start with Loomis and the nurse driving mm, to yeah. take Mike <laughs> yeah. to a different asylum. Just the gradual build-up of it. You can't see anything yeah. outside the car. And then you see some other inmates wandering around where they shouldn't. Yeah. Almost like zombies, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And there's a reprise of that in Halloween 2018. It was like Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, it is. Yeah, quite Night of the yeah. Living Dead-ish. Very much. And then you see Michael's feet jump over the top of the car when Loomis comes out. And the hand on the side of the window. And it just it builds and it builds and it builds. And then, of course, you find out that during his 15 years being incarcerated, Michael has learned how to drive and he drives yeah, himself Amazing. Away, I know, yeah. It's nice incredible, car. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you might be mad, but you can still drive. It's uh, left foot, chunky chicken. Uh... Tell you what, judging by uh, the, the, the driving standards today, Michael Myers would probably be a welcome addition to the, uh, the UK's roads. Yes. Ooh, satire. <laughs> off my fedora to him. <laughs> Uh, it's an automatic, isn't it? American cars are just go-karts, aren't they? Yeah, they, to drive, <laughs> once you've put it in D, you literally just have to not brake, and then it just moves. Yeah, you've got the creep, haven't you? You're just creeping all the way to Haddonfield. Oh, did I? Gas brake, gas brake, gas brake. Gas brake, honk, 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 gas. Gas, gas punch, honk, honk, honk. Well then, if we swiftly move along to our favourite lines in the movie. And let's begin with Ben. A line that made me chuckle was just after Annie has spilt butter down herself and she immediately strips off. (laughs) She's a hell of a lot of butter. (laughs) (laughs) She's in the laundry room and then she gets closed in and she's calling for the little girl. It's called Lindsay, I think. She's good. Lindsay! Lindsay! (laughs) 
<laughs> With a bit of vibrato in her voice. It's brilliant. Like bloody uh, Renee's mother in Hello, Hello. Renee! I was thinking more like Richard O'Brien calling for Mumsy. <laughs> well, next, if we go for Craig. Mine is a small exchange. Tommy telling Laurie that he has seen the boogeyman. And Laurie says, okay, what did he look like? And Tommy says, um, the boogeyman. <laughs> <laughs> and he does, doesn't he, Michael? Yeah, the shape, he, he looks like yeah. the boogeyman. Mm. He does. can imprint anything onto that lack of face that he has. I love that they ripped the sideburns and eyebrows off that mask. Yeah. Yeah. Great. I should look it up on Google. I'd love to see the original mask, see what it looked like to begin with. It's, it does look a bit different. Yeah, it is, it is quite different. Yeah. Do you reckon it was a big seller, a James T. Kirk mask? It, it must yeah, have sold a bit, yeah. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but he obviously adapted it quite nicely, didn't they? So. The actor kept putting it in his pocket while they were filming, and it kind of got worn and stuff. Mm. And when they did the sequel, they thought they'd never be using it again, so they let the actor... It's a different actor in the sequel. They let him keep it. And then when they went to make a, another movie featuring the shape and they didn't have the mask anymore, they couldn't get it anymore. And they regretted that decision. Ah, there you go. Ah. Yeah, they messed with his hair as well, didn't they? A bit. Yeah, they, yes. they, yeah. they, they sprayed yeah. it, didn't they? Sprayed his hair black, yeah. yeah. They yassified it. But the shot and the mask isn't that much different, to be fair. No, no. Mm. Well then, Cinemaster, would you be so good? My favourite line is a real... B-movie line from um, Sam Loomis hmm. when he realises Michael's done a runner. He says, he's gone. He's gone from here. The evil is gone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's, like, That's one for all the B-movie fans. Perfect. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's great. Well, I've got quite a similar line from Loomis for my favourite from much later in the film where he's explaining to Sheriff Brackett I met this six-year-old child with a pale, blank, emotionless face and black eyes. The devil's eyes. He's yeah. just like, come on. He's slathering this on so thick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Speaking of Sheriff Brackett, Lee Brackett, I wondered, is he named after Lee Brackett? He is. Lee Brackett, the screenwriter of The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, really? Oh. Also screenwriter of a couple of Raymond Chandler, Philip Marlowe adaptations. All oh, uh, right, all right. Big Sleep and the Long Goodbye. Ooh. So that's a nice little Easter egg. Ooh. I thought Lee Brackett, Lee Brackett. <laughs> I wondered if Sam Loomis was named after Sam Loomis, and he was named after Sam Loomis. Yes. Yeah. Grim psycho. Yeah. Speaking of the sheriff, I'll just sneak in one more line. I like it where he says to um, Donald Pleasant's character, "All right, I'll stay with you tonight, just on the chance you're right, and if you are right." Damn you for letting him go. <laughs> In Halloween, Michael Myers escapes from Smith's Grove Sanitarium and drives himself home. Don't know when he learned to drive, but there we are. Once there, he gives a ruddy good stabbing to anybody foolish enough to get in his way as he presumably tries to make his way to his childhood home as seen in the film's opening sequence. But how do the panel rate Michael's scheme, be that on a broccoli-based scale or otherwise? Let's speak to the Cinemaster first. I don't know whether he has a plan. I don't know how well he's planned the escape. It seems to be 
very opportunistic. And then his his motives really aren't really clear what he wants to do. He just sort of, he's stolen the headstone, you know that, and then he lays it out. And it's never, never really clear what his actual plan is. Mm. So um, I'm going to give it an inaugural two pumpkins out of five spooky rating for plot. Oh, a competing bloody vegetable system, eh? Just for Halloween films. <laughs> well then, Craig, what vegetable or fruit-based system are you going to score this panel? Uh, South American squash? I don't know. I'll have to think about it. But uh, contrary to that, I think that Michael the Sheep, he does have an intent and a purpose. And I believe what Loomis says about his patience Yes, opportunistic in a way, but he's been biding his time for this opportunity and it's yeah. all he's been thinking about the whole time. And obviously he has learned to drive, so he knew that that was a possibility. <laughs> he probably knew that Loomis was coming, which I guess is why he thought, you know, tonight's the night. I'll uh, let some of the inmates out and let them wander around. And I think what he wants in true slasher style is to punish promiscuous teens. His sister obviously being the first one of those. I don't know if he's some kind of prude or you know, puritanical yeah. or whatever. Now, you do not punish women, Dutch or otherwise, for having big breasts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but for having sex in horror movies, cardinal sin, as uh, mm-hmm. your man from Scream will tell you. So I think that's really what he wants, is just to relive the killing of his sister there. And So I, I think he pulls off his plan brilliantly, considering the means at his disposal and the depth of his patience is disquieting, but it's impressive. So I'm going to give him 18 spooky black cat's bum holes. Oh. <laughs> inedible, but apt. Well, you say inedible, but... Yeah. Have you ever tried? If you were living as a Roman noble, you would have left a bag of cat's arseholes <laughs> while you're watching the gladiator being slain. Like medieval licorice all sorts. Mm, very Moorish. <laughs> Maybe that could be a thing on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here next season. Yeah. Cat's bum holes. Next mm. time it's lockdown and they can't go abroad. <laughs> Just round up a load of strays. <laughs> and then with your original rating system. My thoughts are are more closely aligned with what Craig said. I think he's been planning and planning. He knew exactly what he wanted to do, where he wanted to go, and he's had it in the bank for years, potentially. Everything about it seems quite cold and calculated. For me, I thought his murders were some kind of representation of the death of innocence, both on the little boy's part and with the teenagers making sweet, sweet love. So I'm going to give him a very cold, a very calculating, a slightly orange-tinged 12 florets Ooh, of broccoli. I say, I say, I say. I think he is a devious motherfucker. That's right at the top echelons of the devious plots, isn't it? Yeah. And he almost gets away with it. He'd have got top ranking if he'd have managed to finish off Laurie. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And maybe he does mm-hmm. in my plan. Oh. Uh... If your plan is just the same, all the events of the movie are the same, but he just kills Laurie and he just does because he does. <laughs> yeah. I swear to God. It's not that far off, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, my neighbor. <laughs> I swear to God. I'd go along with uh, what Craig and Ben 
And to an extent, what the Cinemaster has said too, I think, he's just a blunt force object. But with the cunning of, say, a cat at the same time. Are you saying he's a serial killer James Bond? <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> he's a blunt object, yeah. Except where James Bond eats caviar and drinks champagne, Michael eats a dog and drinks its blood. Yeah. <laughs> Where's a boiler suit? Yeah, instead of a tuxedo. <laughs> but the parallels are there otherwise. Instead of a small lady's pistol, it's a big bread knife. <laughs> instead of no mask, a William Shatner mask. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so so my issue with Michael's plan is that he's a blunt force object just basically smashing his way through it, not being particularly sneaky about things, just standing by people in broad daylight. Mm. Appearing at school classrooms during class time, which, yeah, that, that's a bit dodgy. But when it comes to the actual killing parts of his plans, he's a bit too theatrical. He's not as practical about things as perhaps he could be to ensure he gets the job finished. Yeah, I think he's savouring it, though, isn't he? Like a lot of these killers do. They like to savour the moment rather than be like an assassin. Just You've thought about that, haven't you? Uh, well, oh yeah. my god, this is my design. He's been on a boat for a few weeks, folks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Pearl Pals, we'd like to thank you very much for listening to our show so far. You're great, but do remember. If you like what you hear each week, please subscribe, leave us a written review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts if you're there. It's the best platform, which will help us grow the podcast, and you, Peril Pals, are a very important part of that process. If you aren't on Apple, rate us on your provider of choice, and follow us on socials at DiabolicalPod. You're the best. And now we come to the part of this spooky show where the panel of peril compete for precious peril points on the terrifying leaderboard. Each member gets one vote, which will equal one point on the board. But do remember, you cannot vote for yourself, spooky babies. Our task this week is to murder our way around Haddonfield before heading home for a well-earned chillat. So, let's do this! We'll begin with the Cinemaster. Anything I say from now on is not actually Michael speaking. It's just like his thoughts as if he were recounting a tale to somebody in his mind. Okay. Just to set the scene. Hello, I'm Michael Myers, and I'm from Head of Field, Illinois. I like wearing costumes and reading about how to operate motor vehicles. I've been in a mental hospital for most of my life, but it hasn't done me any good whatsoever. And yet, I'm a criminal. I killed my sister when I was younger, because supposedly I had some kind of weird sexual fantasy or inadequacy. Even though my genitals were as pink and hairless as a rich man's sausage. (laughs) (laughs) 
I digress. That Laurie is nice, but unfortunately, she's done the one thing that I don't like, which is notice me. Even though I'm not hidden well at all, doesn't matter. Time for another disguise. I use the sheet that I pretended to be a ghost. Find myself a bucket and go across the street and knock on the door, posing as a trick-or-treater. Laurie and the kids peek through the blinds, expecting perhaps the boogeyman, but see a little kid with a bucket all on his own trick-or-treating. You see, I've bent down on my knees so I look short, and the sheet is covering my <laughs> legs. <laughs> Laurie panics, thinking another kid is on their own. She opens the door to rush me inside, and I drive my knife straight through her leg, severing tendons. She collapses. I'm inside and slam the door closed. The kids are peeing their pants in the corner, too terrified to move. I'll get to them. Laurie is crawling away from me as I draw another knife and bury it between her shoulder blades, piercing her chest and impaling her to the floor. I'm all set. Just a little shits to go. Later on, I stroll back across the street, grab the keys to Annie's car, and head home after a hard night's work. Was that Krusty the Clown? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a cr- it's a mix of Krusty and um, Christian Bale's Batman voice. Very, very <laughs> good. Batman, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Michael, when he thinks to himself, says... Hello, I'm Michael. Well, he's mad. No, he's regaling you with a story. I'm bet- I was portraying him as the character. Uh, okay. I think the going on his knees thing is probably something that Michael would do. Yeah. He'd put like the shoes on his feet. Right. And <laughs> totally. And, uh, I think... <laughs> I'd l- I'd lined up the question: How tall is this trick or treater? And then you bloody you solved yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I knew. It I, one knew line. I knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I was going along, obviously, I was trying to think: What are they going to catch me on? What are they going to catch me on? So. That is very effective. Well, let me find out. How tall is Michael Myers? <laughs> and he is... He's like 6'5", six, something like that. 6'6". Six, six. Six foot 6'9". 6 foot 9. Holy oh. cow. Although, embodied by Tony Moran in the 1978 classic, the original Michael Myers height was precisely 6 foot. No, so, can... let's say a 6 foot so, man on his so knees. So, you can knock a foot off Down him. to 3. So, 5 foot. Passing as a child, yeah, in the same way that Jeanette Cranky passes for a child, <laughs> <laughs> convincingly so. Thank you very much. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no questions asked. know <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like it is something that Michael would do, as we explored earlier, his cheeky character. Mm. Well, he's already done it, so Pranks yeah, it makes yeah, sense. You just that's it. Keep it on. He'd be a YouTube prankster now, wouldn't he? If he was around today, <laughs> yeah. instead of a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just murdering people on TikTok. <laughs> anyway, what other questions do you have for me? That's pretty, pretty foolproof. What, that. what about the other babysitters? They're the ones that are already dead because he's already used that sheet to do all that. Right. I've oh, taken okay. up to that point. He's done all that. Yeah, that's what I thought it was. Yeah, that's very good. Mm-hmm. I think it's genius. Is it simplicity? Then let us move on to Craig's plan. 
The night he came home, Michael Myers found the proverbial Goldilocks sleeping in his proverbial bed. Before he could even get there, he found there was a babysitter in almost every house on his block. And since he'd set his mind on going home as the crow flies, he'd need to deal with them first. He had a good think about how to deal with babysitters, drawing on his vast knowledge of cinema and literature. Naturally, his first thoughts had been of Mary Poppins, whom Michael knew would do anything to get her chimney swept. He put on some blue overalls, the closest he could find to Dick Van Dyke's dungarees at short notice, (laughs) and performed a jig for the first babysitter he encountered. He was disappointed to see that she did not join in with the dance, nor sing along with his muffled grunts, and kept asking him to leave. So he shoved a chimney brush down her throat until it came out the other end and carried on. As Michael had learned from porno, all babysitters find dad sexually irresistible. Michael had stolen himself a mask of a handsome man, Captain Kirk, which he made even more attractive by removing the eyebrows and sideburns. Unfortunately, he was saddened to discover the next two babysitters he met were barely turned on at all, screaming and running away and his arms got tired from choking them to death. Eventually, his mind turned to Marilyn Monroe in Don't Bother to Knock, and he recalled the truth that all babysitters secretly want to kill their young charges. And so it was that Michael spent the rest of Halloween night tricking teenage girls into killing the children they were meant to be watching. He went around gathering all the candy he could and giving it to the children, so that they were high on sugar and ready to court death. He then had them bust in on necking couples, place purses in microwave ovens, flush marijuana down toilets, and generally push their minders to the brink. Then he would encourage them into precarious situations, bathing with radios near the water, leaning from windows or the tops of stairs. Inevitably, accidents happened. The children were slaughtered, and the babysitters carted off to the loony bin, protesting that William Shatner made them do it. (laughs) When his work was finished, Michael sat at a desk near his favourite window and began the first draft of what would become 1987's Adventures in Babysitting. (laughs) Somewhat inspired by uh, Halloween Ends. Mm. Get the babysitters to kill the kids. Yeah, that's a good plan. I like that. Been uh, two very solid (laughs) plans so far. Mm. Just remind me, how does he convince the babysitters to kill? Well, they want to. That's what he knows from having seen the Marilyn Monroe movie, Don't Bother to Knock, in which she uh, wants to push the kids she's sitting out the window when the guy is around and she would rather be caught in than child-minded. So he knows it's a universal truth that all babysitters, they just inside, they want to kill the child that they're looking mm. after. And so what he does is he gives the children lots of Halloween candy and that just ramps up their shittiness oh they're awful kids oh god (laughs) and um, then he just makes sure that they're all in situations where killing them would be very easy like one of them's in a bath with the radio plugged in very near and you know when when, when he's splashing around going I want cake in the bath and I want a cigar and the babysitter comes in (laughs) she's just like oh fuck this and she just pushes the radio in and that's that Do you think it sort of lessens the pleasure for him, though? Because obviously he takes pleasure from the kids. No, he's, uh, he's sitting in the corner watching her. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
This is brilliant. Yeah. So you still still think he'd take <laughs> pleasure from the killings, even though he's no longer gutting him or whatever. Yeah, he's still the architect of it all. It's still his design. And he's reveling in the fact that not only is he getting to orchestrate these murders, he's also seeing other people get blamed for them and get carted off to the uh, quote-unquote loony bin, which is where he went. So there's just levels of pleasure. He's like a Charles Manson type. Yeah, yeah. He thinks it's very, very funny. I see Annie. She wouldn't take much pushing. Exactly, right? No problem. That's one of the things that inspired it. She talks to the kid like she wishes the kid was dead. Yeah. Linda, (laughs) probably. Yeah. Wouldn't need much pushing. Laurie, our moral centre. Yeah, she'd need a bit, but that's why you have to give the kids all the sugar because those kids are reasonably well behaved. Like when when they see the boogeyman at the window and she tells them to sit down and be quiet, they just do it. But give Uh, them a bit of sugar, that's not happening. And to be fair, Tommy's already annoying. Yeah. So it wouldn't take much. Specifically, I I was wondering if this would come up. So I wrote down some specifics for some of the babysitters and children we encounter. So for Annie and Lindsay, I thought you could either have the dog maul the kid or you could have Annie poison the dog and the kid with the washing powder that she uses, you know, Tide or whatever it is. And for Laurie with Tommy, he could just have a jack-o'-lantern carving accident. Whoops! Oh, (laughs) I've nudged Tommy and he's accidentally cut his wrist while he's bleeding everywhere. It's too late now. Uh, I wonder how many... Jack O'Lantern related deaths there are each year in America. Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky number eleven. Yeah. Always eleven every year. No, DV- that's not an average. <laughs> <laughs> Any further questions for Craig? No. Then let us move on to Ben's bath. Michael Myers lumbers down Main Street like Herman Munster, his heavy footsteps echoing through the quiet streets. Clomp, clomp, clomp. It doesn't take long to steal the knives, ropes, and white expressionless mask from the hardware store. As he leaves, his eyes peeled for a tasty stray dog to eat, he notices Big Al's sports emporium across the street. A pair of Asics or Nutska Tiger Montreal 2s, white with blue and red trim, spin on a plate in the window. He must have them. He breaks in as effortlessly as he did the hardware store, and in moments is wiggling his toes inside a size of pair 11s. What comfort. What style. A shoe of undeniable quality. He leaves the Emporium and finds himself walking at a significantly higher speed than earlier. Those clumpy boots were more of an encumbrance than he'd realised. Further down the street, his attention is caught by a TV in the window of Sloppy Steve's Discount Electronics. The Mike Douglas show is playing, and there is a high-energy fitness guru with a head of hair that defies gravity and an outfit that would make Elton John blush. Michael begins to copy the aerobic exercises he sees on screen. He feels his body begin to loosen significantly. On his way home, moving faster and more fluidly than ever, he decides to incorporate the simple stretches into his daily routine. The next day plays out in a similar way as in the movie. He stalks the girls and begins to kill them one by one. Only now, thanks to his sporty new sneakers and loosened muscles, he is able to move significantly faster. (laughs) This allows him to get the job done in record time. He springs up from the ground quicker. 
He slashes with the knife quicker. He even crosses rooms in half the time <laughs> it took previously. He really has become an efficient killer. Like a special forces killer, essentially. Well, he was just moving a bit slowly for my tastes. Got a bit of extra kit. Yeah. Done a bit of extra training. Yep, exactly. He moves deliberately when people can see him, but when he hides behind that hedge, he's gone, isn't he? He's pegged it. That's when he wants to Is be. Is he? Yeah, lightning. Yeah, if the camera had been there, you would have just seen him running really awkwardly, like Bill Murray in, uh, <laughs> in Rushmore. There's a funny um, YouTube short of him running whenever anybody's not looking, and then as soon as they turn around, he's like stood there completely still staring at them. <laughs> well, now he's got these trainers, he's even faster. So is your supposition that the reason Michael fails to kill Laurie when she's hiding in the wardrobe closet thingy is that he's too slow? He's just too slow, for, yeah, in general. He gets up and he's creeping over. He does successfully kill everybody but her. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think if he moved a bit quicker, he'd have got her. He would have made it to her sooner, taking her more yeah. by surprise. Yeah, but he, what he lacks in uh, agility, he, he makes up for in longevity, doesn't he? So He's hard to kill, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Well, imagine he's got the agility and the longevity. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I see what, I've seen what you've a, been doing there. Yeah. That's a saucy proposition. Yes. Literally a deadly combination. Yeah. Yeah. What would he do with rollerblades, do you think? It'd be unstoppable. It, I don't think there was rollerblades invented then. It was just roller skates, wasn't it? Well, roller skates, rollerblades, tomato, tomato. I've got Onitsuka Tiger trainers. Me too. Okay. Any further questions for Ben? No. <laughs> Not from me. Nay. Nay, say I. No. Then I will finish us all off. Oh, go on then. <laughs> Rip my trousers off now and you can go around. I've been waiting for this moment all night. (laughs) There are just two things that babysitters are afraid of. Firstly, the inevitable ever-approaching march of time upon both their own and the children they sit upon's bodies, always (laughs) inching them closer to decrepitude and irrelevance. And secondly, foreigners. Dirty, little foreigners. Stealing their babysitting jobs and not speaking the English. <laughs> what they are not afraid of is one Michael Myers. Not afraid of his boiler suit. Not afraid of his mask. Not afraid of his knife. No. What Michael needs is to go maskless. Showing off his nasty shiner and luscious blowjob lips. <laughs> 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 He also needs to swap out his kitchen knife for a weapon to strike fear into the hearts of all who oppose him. It's a uh, it, it's an AR-15 assault rifle. When you absolutely <laughs> positively have to kill every motherfucker in the room except no substitutes, and America doesn't. <laughs> Michael is now free to cast a swath through the babysitters of Haddonfield and the ill-prepared local police force before putting his feet up in his childhood home and dunking the US equivalent of a chocolate hobnob in a nice fresh cup of tea. Ah. <laughs> I think you've uh, misappropriated that quote to an AR-15 and it's actually an AK-47, isn't it? It is AK-47, isn't it? Yeah. So, mm. They're both... Rapid fire automatic weapon. No, the though. oh god, it's not automatic. The AR-15, whatever AK-47 is. But beside that, yeah, I think Michael likes to be up close and personal rather than um, just using guns and stuff. Also, where does he get an AR-15 assault rifle? Walmart hardware stores sell that. Yeah, kind of thing, there's all they? sorts of shops that sell them. You got a coupon? 
came in the local newspaper. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> They've got the, in those um, machines that dispense uh, newspapers at Cider Road. You can get an AL-15 from them. <laughs> I thought it was a weird decision to show his face in the in the movie, but I thought his eye was like that because Laurie had just stabbed him in the eye with a coat hanger. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. Possibly, but it, in terms of the actor, it's because he was in a bar fight the night before shooting. Oh, um, right. So they, they could have added the, the stabbing from Laurie to account for it. I think the original concept was that he'd just be like a handsome, normal looking guy. Right. But then yeah. he turned up with a big, big shiner. Right. <laughs> like that version of uh, Dr. Doom where he's not scarred. He's like a, looks like an angel. Yeah, that's good. I hope they do that in the, the new one. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So the other thing about an AR 15 assault rifle versus a knife, particularly a hmm. bread knife. Is that it's a lot louder, isn't it? It's going to be attracting a lot more police attention. Have you never tried to cut a slice of bread with an AR-15? It's whisper quiet. It's like a hot knife through butter. <laughs> you shove the muzzle into a into a loaf, and you got a silencer. But <laughs> shoot a person with it from a distance. I did actually say as part of the plan that he is free to take out the ill-prepared local police force. So I did account for that. He, oh, yeah. so you did, yeah. accounted for. What was the significance of babysitters hating au pairs? It didn't really come up, did it? Foreigners. <laughs> Bit of flavour? I don't know. I think maybe I, I started on a different track to there, <laughs> <laughs> where, I, where I ended. But um, I, yeah, I got where you were coming from. Yeah. I understand that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I knew you would, Sonny. Yeah. BMP. <laughs> I've been cheated out of a lot of jobs by au pairs, all right? And not necessary babysitting either. Those plans, if I'm not mistaken, were eerily diabolical, wasn't they? We had the Cinemaster's <laughs> plan, wherein... Michael would go on his knees and slash at Laurie from that position, taking her by surprise. Craig's plan, which supposes that all babysitters want to kill their babies slash children, which would then result in them being carted off to the loony bin. Ben's plan, which was a a get-thick-quick scheme for Michael, making him a more efficient killer. And my own scheme, which saw Michael... Get a gun. <laughs> if we could just go alphabetical again and reveal whom we voted for. Sometimes in life, simple is best. And that's why I voted for the Cinemaster. Mm. <laughs> yes, uh, I like my simple with a bit of twist of lemon and lime. So I've gone with Ben. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like... The characterization of Michael Myers as a little cheeky prankster. So I have voted for the Cinema ah, Masters. Cinema mm, Masters. Thank you. <laughs> and I too have voted for the Cinemaster. Ooh, big week big for the Cinemaster. Huge week for Cinemaster. You're all so kind. Thank you. Pushed him into the bloody lead again, hasn't it? And with that round of voting, the scores stand at in the lead with. Lucky 13 points is the Cinemaster. Wow. <laughs> Friday the 13th. In second place with 11 points is Craig. In third place with nine points is myself. And 
in last place, but gaining a point is Ben with seven. Ooh. Yes. Lucky number seven. How many points have I got? You've got 11. 11. The same number of pumpkin-related deaths in America every year. (laughs) (laughs) That cannot be a coincidence. (laughs) Yeah, there are no coincidences in this podcast. (laughs) Now then, on Twitter slash X, no pun intended, what's everybody think of this week's film, Halloween? Let's read out some of the comments we received. Matt Spectro through the Multiverse podcast replied, I've always wondered what he would have done afterwards if he'd successfully killed Jamie Lee Curtis. But he's answered his own question there. In Halloween Resurrection, he does go back to live in his own house, only to be confronted by a kung fu kicking Buster Rhymes filming a web series (laughs) reality show along with Tyra Banks, and he swiftly gets his arse handed to him. Spoilers for Halloween Resurrection. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it's a good idea to put that after the spoiler. (laughs) Craig at Witzer Script says, anything John Carpenter in the horror genre is brilliant. And with the Dr. Loomis monologue about Michael, turned it from a typical slasher film into something a bit different with a supernatural element to it. Yeah, and Christine is having its 40th anniversary. Oh, it's great. Our old friend D.W. Lundberg, Nostalgia Cast, said, eschewing the stupid sequels, Michael is as blank a slate as the shark in Jaws. Emotionless, expressionless, and minus motivation. Dead eyes, like a doll's eyes. Our friends KJ and A podcast, they say, unlike characters like Freddy Krueger or Jason Voorhees, the true nature of Michael Myers' killing spree is mysterious and elusive. His attire is simple, a blue jumpsuit, William Shatner mask and boots. He had no witty banter, only the silent appearance before he strikes. Grade A+. plus. Mm. I don't know if you'd call a Will Shatner mask simple. They make it simple, don't they? Customise it. Customising a mask is, uh, is it simple, is it? I don't think he's meant to have done it, is he? It's shop-bought, you find out in Halloween 2, because there's someone yeah. in an identical costume, isn't there? That, um, yeah, he Loom- gets Loomis fucking... plows into his car. It's just <laughs> like, oh, it's not him, and they just walk off. <laughs> so nothing's happened. <laughs> Dr. Sean Travers says, he has no motivation. That's what makes him scary, which I would agree with. The fact yeah, they give him is... motivation retroactively, don't they? But Yeah, yeah. but yeah. then they also kind of wipe that away at the same time. They, they play a bit of a game with it, don't they? Making you think yeah. that there's motivation. But the fact that yeah. he is just an empty vessel, a shape of a man, is what does make him scary terrifying yeah i don't know if you look at that first film just on its own merits and you kind of ignore what came later you'd say he is motivated by something to recreate his childhood or whatever it is but to go back to that specific town to that specific place yeah he does pick there haddonfield of all places but sometimes you just mindlessly go back to things that you know don't you not yeah but he also steals a tombstone that's not that's well, not that's the true. Act of... yeah. yeah. I don't know though, because I've been pissed out of my fucking gourd and found my way home and not had any idea how I got home and also had, had a tombstone in my bed. Don't know what happened. Oh, what did what I night. do? <laughs> Satsu at Chatsunami says, as a one off villain, he was great. Despite being imposing, he managed to blend in from a distance, and that's what made him so iconic. Admittedly, that lost its luster several films later but his debut was great. Yeah, people have mixed feelings about the sequels. I mostly like all of them a bit. Yeah. Four particularly is a cracker, I think, yeah. with a great ending. 
Oh, what an ending. <laughs> I would disagree with the fact that he blends in. And I was incredulous watching the film how no one else noticed him. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the, uh, the picture I posted on this of him hiding behind a bit of the bush, I think shows that he doesn't <laughs> blend in at all. He's a good two metres from yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. The Jack Depp Review Show podcast said, Jason, of all he's, and the Terminator had persona, unlike Michael Myers, uh, which is kind of the opposite of what everyone else has been saying, that people like him because he's this empty shape. Mm. He's a force of nature, isn't he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the Breakfast Club say, such a good film and a great villain who sadly later falls victim to the classic horror franchise issue of overly exploring the villain. Better the less we know. Definitely. Definitely. You get involved it's... in the cult of Thrawn and the legend yeah. of Sam Hain and, and all this folkloric yeah. uh, tomfoolery yeah. in, in the later sequels. And yeah they, yeah, they did well to wipe the slate clean with Halloween 2018. Yeah. Sure. Very good. Thanks for your comments. Marvellous. Marvellous. That is us done for another week. And indeed, another actual Halloween, our second. But we shall return for another set of scintillating schemes in just seven days' time. Craig will be sitting in the big boy chair with his choice of film, but what the deuce will we be discussing? Well, it's going to be a real change of pace, I think. Halloween 2? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Halloween 3. Very different. Really different. Marketing. <laughs> now, um, we're going to be doing a-, a comedy with some musical elements. It's uh, quite an old film. And one that you might not consider has really a diabolical villain, but it certainly has a diabolical scheme. And that movie is The Producers. Ooh. Is that original or is that Matthew Broderick's? Re- oh, very much the original with uh, Gene Wilder, Zero Mustel. Well then, Peril Pals, join us next week as we discuss Mel Brooks' The Producers. And I promise you that we will be there on time, on form, and on a mission from the Dark Lord himself to entertain you. Until then, remember, everything will be alright in the end, and if it isn't alright, then it is in the end. This is Halloween, this This is Halloween, Halloween. pumpkin scream in the dirt of night. What does the Halloween music sound like now? Because all I can hear in my head is the Exodus music. That's it. Then occasionally it's the synth going. Right, Craig, can you do the Halloween music? Gaz, put yourself in the mind of John Carpenter and put lyrics over the top of it. Michael Myers is fucking nuts, yes. I'm Michael Myers and I'm here to say I need to put my knife away. Gonna put it in your chest. That's the place that I like it best. Craig, Halloween music, go. Bitches and hoes and murder. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get the rhythm. I can't get it. <laughs>